0: You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. I was
1: thinking about we were singing that song, Jesus, thank you, and once your enemy, now seated at your table, if you think about that, we were God's enemy, we're at enmity with him, we're opposed to him, living our lives like this, and now he not only welcomes us, but beckons us to come to his table And eat with him what a blessing that is hopefully that is your story once you were his enemy now you are beckoned to to dine with the Lord because of what Christ has done for you we're in the book of Exodus Exodus chapter 20 we've been walking through this book and over the last several months we've been walking through the Ten Commandments and we're at the last of these Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20 verse 17. And this, the children have already helped us review. And they get to the last one, right, and we, you have to do your fingers, and hopefully you know these by now. But um, we do the number ten, that's the tenth commandment, and it's it's do not covet, right? And so the, the kind of the what helps us remember what coveting is, it's not a word we use often, is we do this, right? You're grabbing, wanting more. And we think about the Ten Commandments as a whole. These commands are not just laws to be kept outwardly, right? And so many of these commandments we, we are, are commandments forbidding us to do certain things, things we can see they are external, they're outward. But this Tenth Commandment is not something... It, at first glance that we are able to notice in someone else's life maybe not even in our own lives but if you remember the Pharisees the religious leaders of Jesus day they were very much concerned about the outward obedience of keeping the commandments the outward appearance they were desiring to avoid those things others could see as immoral or godless but Jesus rebukes him Matthew chapter 23 verse 27 and 28, What are you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These These Ten Commandments. I think, as as I've gotten feedback from most of you, many of you have have said these have really been good for my soul. Really been good for for me, and yeah, it's been good for me as I've studied and prepared it, try to apply it to my own life before we preach it. But it's been good for our souls. But we're not concerned so much about outward things. We're concerned about the things of the heart. And that's what we've seen. Jesus, as he's given commentary on each of these commandments with the exception of the fourth one, all of them are reiterated, restated in the New Testament. Jesus is concerned about our hearts. Do not covet. Once Abraham Lincoln, he was seen walking with his two sons, one on one side and one on the other, and both of them were crying, crying their eyes out. And a, A passerby asked the president, what's wrong with your boys? Abraham Lincoln said, exactly what's wrong with the whole world? I have three walnuts and each boy wants two. (laughs) Abraham Lincoln was right. That's what's wrong with the whole world. We have a tendency to covet, don't we? A couple points um, this morning. First is we're just going to define coveting. What does it mean to covet? Well, it means to desire something belonging to another. It stinks with discontentment. How content are you? How content am I today with what God has given me? Coveting is a craving, a yearning for someone else's possessions. It's an inappropriate desire for something belonging to another. It's it's not simply wanting something we don't have. It's wanting something that someone else has. Do you covet? It was asked of me this week, what's the difference between lust and coveting? Well, lust is a desire for something forbidden, and to covet is a desire for something that belongs to another. So lust would fall underneath, just like envy and jealousy would fall under the coveting. Coveting is a, a selfish desire. We're willing to gain at the expense of someone else. It's a self-centered desire. Desire for something God has given to someone else. And it's, it's worldly, isn't it? And the, the danger of being worldly is it gets into our heart. Think about a, a ship, a sailing vessel of some sort. The water is good for a sailing vessel, for a ship. The danger is when the water gets into the ship, right? So the danger is when the world gets into our hearts, we're told not to covet. And notice what's covered in verse 17. It doesn't, ta- it doesn't say simply don't covet. It says don't covet your neighbor's house. Well, first, there's property here involved. I was thinking about this. Can you see someone else's house and think, man, I want to set up like that one day? I think you can. In fact, I point this out to our millennials. More millennials, sometimes they just struggle, you know? Struggle with the idea of working. And not just of working, but working at the same place for very long, you know? So I talk to the millennials and I try to encourage them. And I'll say this often, and I'll mention people in our church, Hey, you know, think about so-and-so's place. Do you think you might want to have that once you get married and have children? You might want to want a place like theirs. Like, oh yeah, they got a nice place. Or, yeah, it is nice. You don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? You use that as kind of motivation. Wouldn't you like to provide a, a, a decent place for your, for your spouse, for your children to live? So I don't think that's what God is forbidding here when we say don't covet. I think he's forbidding the desire for that person's specific house. Think about Ahab. You remember the story of Naboth's vineyard? Naboth was a a man who had a vineyard and it had been in his family for generations. And Ahab saw the vineyard and he wanted to plant a garden there and he went to him and asked if he would sell it to him. And he says, no, it's been in my family for years. He didn't want to sell. Ahab being the Sissy punk he was. He went home. And he's pouting around the house. And his wicked wife Jezebel saw him and asked him, what's wrong with you? Why are you so downcast? Why are you pouting? What's wrong with you? He said, well, I I wanted this vineyard. I tried to buy it from Naboth and he wouldn't let me have it. And so Jezebel plotted to have Naboth killed. That's what happened. They had Naboth killed and what did they do? They just took the vineyard as their own. Yeah, we see Ahab coveting. And then coveting, what does it do? It it leads to breaking other commands. We see people that are coveted here in verse 17. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant. Anybody come to mind, Old Testament character in the Bible? Comes to mind someone, who, they coveted someone else's spouse. Yeah. yeah, that's what I got written down. You read my notes, right? What did David do? He coveted Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Thinking again, can you see another person and think, man, you know, he's blessed. That man's blessed to have such a fine wife, an attractive lady who loves him, who takes care of their family, who loves the Lord. Can we say that? Yeah, I think we can. We do it all the time. In fact, I'm looking around, I'm seeing a lot of people, man, that that man is a blessed man. He's got a wonderful wife who loves him, loves his family, serving the Lord. Yeah, I think it's totally fine to do that. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, what David, David didn't think, oh, what a blessed man Uriah is. What did David think? He said, oh, what a blessed man I would be if I had her as my own. And that's what he did. He took her as his own. And, of course, he... Had Uriah killed. What else in verse 17? We see possessions. We see his ox. Don't covet his ox, your neighbor's donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Think about Old Testament people. And I think about Achan. You remember the story? Joshua chapter 7, verse 11 and 12. Jericho had been defeated. Remember where we are in the the context of Exodus? God delivered the the nation of Israel from Egypt. They crossed through the Red Sea, and they're walking towards, traveling towards the promised land. That's the goal. And where we are in Exodus, they happen to stop at Mount Sinai, and that's where the Lord, they're going to stay for about 11 months. The Lord's going to give them the law. After they receive the law, all the teaching, all the delivering of the law through Moses is done, they're going to continue their progress toward the promised land. Now, eventually, they're going to enter the promised land and they're going to take Jericho, with what the Lord's, Lord's doing, right? The walls came tumbling down. But the Lord gave them specific instructions not to take certain things. Certain things were to be devoted to the Lord. Well, Achan, what did he do? Let's look at the, the passage. Israel had sinned, has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. See, what's happened is after Jericho, they went to the next battle. We didn't even have to do anything. We marched around the city blowing trumpets. The, the walls come tumbling down. We go in and take the city. It's pretty easy stuff because God's on their side, right? They go to the next city, which is I, thinking we're going to do the same thing. Well, they were defeated. Thirty-six soldiers, Israeli Soldiers lost their lives and like what happened? I thought this was going to be easy And it's come to find out Someone's taken the devoted things verse 12 Therefore the people of israel cannot stand before their enemies They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you So joshua rose early in the morning and brought israel near tribe by tribe and the tribe of judah was taken and he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and pray, give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil that Jericho had fallen, a beautiful cloak, a robe from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. He coveted those things. You know what happened to Achan? He was put to death because he sinned against the Lord. So we see property, we see people, we see possessions. There, they been, they're they're forbidden. Don't covet these things. Don't covet people's possessions. Don't covet people's spouses or their servants. Don't covet their possessions. And it's interesting the last phrase there or anything that is your neighbor's. Don't covet anything, a kind of broad statement there at the end. And we see this in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And I think most of us are pretty content if we we never see what other people have. We're pretty content. Think about the child. There's a child playing in the nursery and there's a big yellow tonka truck, dump truck. You remember the tale of the kind we used to play with? Big yellow Tonka dump truck is there in the nursery, and there's one child in the nursery, and they're playing, and they're completely content. They're just having a good time. They care nothing about the big yellow Tonka dump truck. You put another child in the nursery who all of a sudden takes a liking to the big yellow Tonka dump truck. And what happens to the first child? Yeah, the first child, all of a sudden, they're discontent. And they see the big yellow Tonka dump truck and decide they could care less about anything else in the whole wide world. All they want is what? The big yellow Tonka dump truck. Yeah, if we don't see what others have, maybe we could be content. Adults, of course, we're more subtle than that, but we covet just the same. Again, with the exception of the fourth commandment, all these commands that we see in in, in the 10 are reiterated, restated in the New Testament. And we see Jesus warning against coveting in Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And Jesus said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, don't love your possessions that belong to others so much that you make an effort to acquire them. Don't let it consume you. Again, Paul, he in Ephesians 5, 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is, a, is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And we've seen that time and time again, haven't we, as we read through these commandments. Those who broke these commandments, they can't enter the kingdom of God. As we read the Westminster Shorter Catechism in question 81, it's a catechism for teaching children truths of the Scripture, and we've gone through it with our children. It says, what is forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? The Tenth Commandment forbids all discontent with our own state. Are you discontent with your own state? Envying and grieving at the good of our neighbor. Together with all ungoverned longings. I like that. Ungoverned longings and desires for things that belong to him. And I, again, it's okay, I think, to want to better ourselves, want to provide for our family, want some good things for our children. But it's those ungoverned longings. You see what somebody else has Says, I want that. That ought to be mine. That ought to be mine instead of being theirs. How are you doing with coveting? And the second point I would make from today is coveting pollutes all of life. It's not just this little simple sin, little struggle we have in our heart. You know, like I said, you can't see it. It's not like adultery or murder or lying it's it's a, an inward struggle isn't it it's inward it's a sin of the heart james chapter 1 verse 14 and 15 teaches us how desires become inappropriate and then it begins to dominate our thinking until it becomes a, an infatuation obsession and at that point you're you're done let's read that but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. You become caught up with what you don't have, what other people's have, and what you want to have of theirs. They shouldn't have it. I should have it. It becomes something that you're, right? And then you're done for. Sin just takes over, and sin has its way. And I think when we covet, It it shows a lack of faith, too, doesn't it? We don't trust God to provide what we need. Instead, we look to obtain that which belongs to another person. And this kind of attitude leads us to breaking other commands. It's not just an isolated thing. In fact, think about the first command. What's the first commandment? One God, right? Don't only worship one God alone, right? How many have placed our possessions, maybe money, ahead of the Lord? And we covet more of those things. It it leads us to being focused, worshiping something other than the Lord. The second commandment, right? Don't carve any idols. We're not to be idolaters. But how many of us, we bow at the altar of materialism and greed and stuff, but we refuse to bow to the Lord? Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, Paul says, whatever is earthly in you, Sex immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We saw that in Ephesians 5.5. 5. To covet is to be an idolater. Coveting leads to other breaking other commandments. What about the third command? Take the Lord's name in vain. Coveting leads us to take in our effort to acquire stuff, we break the third commandment. And you say, Well, we don't have, what about I thought it was about speaking Taking the Lord's name in vain, but saying these things that we shouldn't say, we don't have to speak to take the Lord's name in vain. You take the Lord's name in vain by saying you love the Lord and you're a believer and not living like it. About the fifth commandment, honoring your mother and father. How many of us we because we covet and we want more and more and other people's stuff and theirs and theirs and theirs. I wish it was mine and we neglect our older parents because we don't want to give up those things that we love so much. Maybe we might lead us breaking that fifth commandment. What about the murder? How many people are not with us because someone wanted which that which belonged to them? What about the seventh commandment? Right, right, don't commit adultery. How many marriages are in shambles because People have been so caught up in earning their salt, they neglected their sugar. Others have their head turned by another. They allow their covetous heart destroy their home. But the eighth commandment, stealing, it goes without saying, right? The end result of a covetous spirit is taking something that doesn't belong to you and treating it like it was yours. In the ninth, right? The lying. Maybe we'll lie about another, spread gossip, maybe hurt someone, their reputation, because we're envious, which is a part of being covetous. We're envious of their life, their lifestyle, their position, maybe their walk with the Lord. And so we say things. How many people have had their lives totally ruined by a covetous person? I read this week about how some countries, they have wolf problems. So they have these wolves (laughs) and they need to eradicate some of the wolves, the population gets too strong. And so what they'll do is they'll take a, a sharp, large sharp knife and they take some blood from an animal and they'll put it on that knife they'll dip it in that blood and let it dry and they dip it in the blood and let it dry and they keep doing that over and over and over again and then what they do is they bury the handle of the knife out in the field so what does the wolf do the wolf smells the blood and so when the wolf finds the the knife they're attracted to the spell the smell they they find the knife it begins to lick the blood off the knife and what It licks and it licks and then what happens after a while? Begins to cut its tongue on the knife but it continues to lick and it's lusting, desiring its own blood. And what does it do? It keeps on licking, it keeps on licking, it keeps on licking until it bleeds to death as it drinks its own blood. That's kind of a vivid illustration you didn't want to hear maybe. But you you see, that's kind of like coveting, right? It's just self-destructive power. I want more. They have what I should have. Why do they have that? They should have it. It should be mine, not theirs. And it leads to so many other commandments being broken, and it's destructive to our lives. No wonder, right? Our Heavenly Father commands us to keep away from that, not just in the Old Covenant, but in the New as well. And we've seen these examples, Jezebel and Ahab's coveting Naboth's vineyard that led them to killing him and stealing it, breaking other commandments. David coveting Uriah's wife, and he stole her. He committed adultery. He had Uriah killed. Achan, right, he coveted the robe and the the silver, the gold, and it just led to one sin after another. It's a sin of the heart. It's a, an intense desire that almost inevitably leads to other commandments being broken. Third point, we've defined it, talked about how it affects, leads to other sins being committed, other laws being broken. And thirdly, a good law, this Tenth Commandment is, it's a good law with better effects. It's a good law with better effects. Um, and I think you've seen this as you walk through these commandments, the Ten Commandments, then, wow I'm a pretty sinful person yeah we are we see that's the purpose of the law isn't it to show us our sin in fact Romans chapter 7 Paul Romans 7 7 what shall we what then shall we say that the law is sin by no means the law is sin the law is awesome if you want to know about the law and we read these ten commandments you're like man is the law good it's showing my sin I'm just, ugh. Yeah, you know, read Psalm 19 or Psalm 119 the law is wonderful Right, Is the law sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now think about the t- context. Paul, he's a Pharisee. Not just a Pharisee, he's the top dog Pharisee. And what is he doing? He's teaching these Roman believers that the law is good, but life under the law is frustrating because on our own we can't keep the law. And Paul, he's a Pharisee and he is blameless in regards to the law. In other words, what that means is it would have been hard for someone to bring a charge against Paul in terms of a visible violation of God's commandments and make it stick. Outwardly, he was a pretty, pretty sharp guy. Keep the law, keep the law, keep the law. Very legalistic. But this law, do not covet, showed Paul his outward observance wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough. No one could bring an accusation against me. I kept the law, the letter of the law, to a T. But what was Paul's problem? Paul's problem was his heart. He may have been able to brag about the appearance of his righteousness on the outside, but this commandment had convicted him of sin on the inside. And that was his problem, just like it is ours. And as we worked our way through the Ten Commandments, you know, at face value, think about the Ten Commandments, you read through them really quickly, you're like, I I did pretty good, I don't do this and do that and do that and do that and do this. But you think about it, okay, I'm not to make idols, carve idols? Yeah, who's into that? Well, we all are. But it's not just the external idols, right? It's other things that we bow to and yield to, put before the Lord. Don't murder, got that one taken care of. Remember what Jesus commentates on that. But we're not to be maliciously angry towards someone else. Well, how many of you have never been maliciously angry towards somebody, right? Wow. What about adultery? Yeah, I've never done. I've been faithful to my wife. What about lust? Have you looked at pornography? Have you looked at another woman and thought, man, that would be nice? Yeah, most likely you have. And this covenant is not an outward action to be seen by others. It's an inward attitude. And what does the law do? It shines a light on our hearts. And Paul had this light shine upon his heart, and he saw that he was sinful. And he says, man, it was so wonderful to be able to see He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's got it all. He, all the the the, the dots, and the, the the T's crossed, and the, he's just got it all done. But what did the law do? It showed him that he was sinful, and he knew he had a need for Christ. Through the law, he came to know he was a sinner. It's really interesting when we lived overseas in uh, Chinese culture. People there, um, man, it's a dog eat dog world, but they really think a lot about appearance. And I've shared this story with, with you before, but I had a colleague at the university who was teaching with us, and he always rode his bike. Well, I rode a bike to to work, and he rode his bike to work. But then when it would rain, I didn't really want to ride my bike. It was raining really hard. In the winter, it rained all the time. It was about 40, 45 degrees raining all day long. And so we had a little old... Bread truck and bread wagon, and so that's what we would drive. And I would, I would drive that to work, and he would just ride his bike. I'm like, Bro, why are you riding your bike? It's raining. You got a car. He's like, oh, I never drive my car. I said, Why did you buy a car? He says, Well, my neighbor bought a car, so I had to buy one. I'm like, What? He's like, My neighbor bought one. What could I do? He couldn't understand why I didn't understand him. That's just their culture. They have a car. Well, I got to buy a car, I got to keep up. They have a car, well I want one too, so I'm going to buy one like theirs even though I'm never going to drive it. But it's interesting how we would use this 10th commandment with the Chinese people. They would say, oh, I don't kill, I don't, I da, 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 da. didn't really see their need. But you say, well, what about coveting? We'd explain that to them. Oh yeah, I do that all the time. Yes, It's part of their culture, it's grained in them, it's taught. Like Paul, they see their sin, wow, there is a need. I am lacking. Our problem is not that we have too little nor is it that we possess too much. Our problem is that we want more than we need. Epicurus he wrote, "If you want to make a man happy, add not to his possessions, but take away from his desires." Yeah, it's not that we have too much stuff, which we most of us do. That's not the stuff's not the problem, it's our desire for stuff that's the problem. The one who's, who covets is someone who doesn't trust the Lord. We mentioned this already. You erroneously think that God's holding back. He's not, he's impotent. He can't provide for you. He's not giving you all that, that you should have. I think two people who covet, I was thinking about Matthew six twenty four. You can't serve both God and money. Someone who's coveting, you think about covetousness in Christ, they're, they're two different masters. You can't serve one while serving the other. One of my pet peeves in, in my family is when one of my kids, they say something about somebody having a lot. Man, they, are, they must have a lot of money or they must be wealthy or they must be well off or done something like that. And my, my kids, you know, as a pastor, you have to be real careful what you say from the pulpit and what you say about your kids, you know, because you people take offense and they use that sometimes to be mean or silly. But my kids do really well. They don't ask for a lot. For Christmas, my kids don't ask for stuff for Christmas. What do you want? I don't really need anything. That's typically their response. They don't ask for a lot of stuff. They, do, they handle that really well. I think that's because they grew up in China. And they, we go to the orphanage on Saturdays and they see the little kids tied to chairs and couldn't get up. You go to the orphanage, you don't complain. Saturday afternoon, you don't complain at the Hartsfield House. You're seeing kids who aren't wanted, aren't taken care of. You don't really want to complain a whole bunch. So I think my kids, because of that experience, they just don't complain a whole lot. But every now and again, I hear them say something like that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Baby girl, we might not have a whole bunch, but we're loaded. We're filthy rich. What do you need that you don't have? Well, there's a lot of people in this world that are hungry. A lot of people in this world have needs. And we have none. We are wealthy. How do we apply this to our lives I think, firstly, if you covet other people's stuff, I think, firstly, just we need to know, what do we do if we covet? And the Bible says, don't covet. If we covet, what do we need to do? Yeah, we repent. That's what we do as believers. And for, for, for most of us here, many of us here, as I'm looking around, there's so many testimonies represented here. That's just a part of life, isn't it? Yeah, we repent as believers. That's just what we do. It's not like, oh, I've got to repent. No, we repent all the time. Come on. Do we not? That's just a, what we do all day long. We're repenting because we're sinful. So we just need to repent. Well, I've just really longed for this. I haven't been content. I've been longing for the other people's stuff. I've been bitter because they have, and I think it should be mine. God's better to them than he is to me, and that's not right. We need to repent. Lord, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm not content. I feel like I should have more than all these other people. I'm not happy for them. I'm irritated. It should be mine and that. Theirs. We need to repent. That's just what we do as believers. But you may be here and you're like, yeah, yeah I realize that I've, I covet. I, I long for other things that aren't mine. I, I, would, I would probably, if no one knew about it, I would probably, at their expense, take it from them if I could. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your heart. Well, what you need to do if you're not a believer is you need to repent also. But for you, it's going to be the first time you've ever repented. So what happens when we first acknowledge our sin, we recognize we're sinful, we recognize that Jesus is our only hope, and we turn from our sin. We say, God, I realize I'm, I've sinned against you. We confess that. We agree with God. I've sinned against you. I'm wrong. I deserve your wrath and your punishment. But I recognize that, Jesus, you died on the cross and you paid my sin debt, and, and I want to trust the work you did on the cross. Not only did you die, but you rose on the third day. I want to trust you for that. And I want you to forgive me. I want you to save me. I want to know you. I'm turning from my life of living for me, and I want to live for you. That's repentance. You need to do that for the first time. And so application for you today may just be you just need to repent and trust Christ as Savior, your Savior. Because it's not like, yeah, Jesus, he died for all the sinners. Hey, Jesus died for me. I can tell you, Jesus died for me. He rose on Thursday for Shane Hartsfield. Can you say that? If you can't say that, you need to repent today and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. He didn't die as this vague thing. He died for the whole world. No, he died for sinners. He died for me. Well, how do you know that? Because I, I trust he did that. I repented, and he's forgiven me, and he saved me. So maybe by just way of application, you need to repent today, whether you're a believer, and I think that includes all of us, right? Sometimes we get and it's not about having stuff. Stuff's not the problem. And some of us have more stuff than others. Some of us, we make a lot of money. We can buy a lot of things. We can afford a lot of things. Live below your means. I don't care how much money you make. Live below your means. So stuff's not the problem. It's the desire for stuff. It's the desire for other people's stuff. That's the problem. Well, i gotta, I got to have this, I want to have that, and I want to have their stuff, and I have this, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go in debt and try to buy it and keep up with them. Yeah, that's a problem. Isn't it crazy? We get more and more and more and more, and then we don't have time to do anything but take care of our stuff. And we don't have any excess money, so we can't give. Yeah, we just can kind of get consumed with it. Yeah, Stuff's not the problem. It's the, the desire for more and more and more. Discontentment. That's the problem. We need to guard against that. Think about this. Let's, by way of application, maybe a little test. How do we know if we're if we covet? And sometimes we can't see it. You know, we're blind to blind to it. Well, let's ask you a couple questions. Number one is, how much do you talk about stuff, possessions, money? Think about it. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke six forty five. What's in our? It's in here. What's going on here usually comes out our mouth. So you talk about stuff and wanting these possessions and houses and toys and blah, blah, blah. Is that what you talk about all the time? And not just your stuff and what you desire, but you talk about other people and having what they have. So that's a, that's a test. And the second test maybe is... Do you go to more pains to get earthly things than heavenly things? Do you go to more pains to get earthly stuff than you do heavenly things? You, If that's, you say, if that's true of you, then you, you possibly could be a person who covets. You say, what do you mean exactly? Well, maybe you, you're willing to wake up at dark 30 to go deer hunting or to work overtime. To make money, so you could buy other things, to buy your boat or your property or your whatever. But you can't come to small group because you say that's my day to sleep in. When the day before you got up at four thirty, I'm just saying. Might you be a covetous person? What do you What do you talk about? What consumes your thoughts? And like when you're working, there's another another test here. It kind of goes along with talking, but as you're working, you have free time. Do you spend all your time on the internet pricing things? Could I buy this? Could I buy that? And how do you spend all your time? Is it about getting stuff and attaining and attaining and getting more and more and more? Just something to think about. How do you guard against this sin? Being covetous. I think one of the best ways to do that is to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness in yourself but also in your household. Really easy thing to do, and it's funny, in our house we get away from that sometimes, we try to come back to it. Ask what are you thankful for? Like one thing you ought to do regularly in your house, and it doesn't matter if your kids are little or your kids are grown. If they're grown, they're still your kids, right, and they're still impressionable and need to be taught. Just ask them, what are you thankful for? You've had a horrible day, it's been a busy day, whatever, and you don't have a whole lot of time, and you're trying to get kids in bed and it's late. Hey, hey, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? This is what I'm thankful for. What are you thankful for? What does it do just over time? It just cultivates an attitude of thankfulness. Ask them that all the time. You know what will happen? Mom, when you cook supper, this will happen. I've seen it. Also, when you cook supper and your kids are just sitting there eating and say, Hey, mom, thanks for cooking. That'd be awesome to hear that. You've got to cultivate that. You've got to teach that. And one way to do it, it's really easy. Just ask, Hey, what are you thankful for? Not thankful to me, thankful to him, right? What are you thankful to God for today? It don't matter. It could be a horrendous, terrible day. There's always things to be thankful for. Do you realize everything above hell is a privilege? Teach your little kid, your little Johnny, little Susie, little whoever. Everything above hell is a privilege. You should be in hell. I should be in hell. Everything above hell is a privilege. Yeah. So when they sit there and look at you, I don't know what I'm thankful for. They yeah, you're not in hell. That's what you deserve, you little sinner. Right? Yeah. You throw that last part on there if you want to, you know. If they, if they need to be humbled, right? <clears throat> Last thing Just by way of How do we guard against Covenants Being thankful Cultivate that in our home That's real easy to do We always do that all the time You can even do that In small group Even today Like Blake and I Were talking before service About what we're going to do And what, you know Just the order and all that We've already had it done But just kind of Hey what are we going to do here It's like yeah Let's just be thankful We need to do that more Just in our congregation here What do we thank for But in your small group Hey what are you thankful for Cultivating a thankful heart and lastly, how do we how do we guard against being a co- covetous person? I think is we ask God to show us our sin, because a lot of sins we don't see. Others see it a lot quicker than we do. A lot of times we're just blind to it. We think we're kind of doing okay and got it all together. Just ask God. Psalm one thirty nine, verse twenty three and twenty four. It's a great prayer. I've been walking through the Psalms and reading one or two a day, and I'm, I'm highlighting the prayers in the Psalms so I can go back and as I'm praying just have my Bible open and pray and, but this is great here search me oh God and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting
0: you know I say I don't have no
1: problem with none of this stuff I don't have a problem with that I don't have a problem with that you got a problem with it I don't have a problem with it they got a problem with it but I don't I, I get it okay but well, let's ask the Lord do I have a problem with this guy show me if I do You willing to do that? Man, we're a lot more sinful than we know. That's what Paul said as he gets older and more grace he experienced. He's like, what a wretched sinner am I? Yeah, the more we mature in Christ, the more we see our sin. But let's ask the Lord to show it to us. Do I covet? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, and you give it to us, and it's wonderful and incredible. Your word, your law, these Ten Commandments are wonderful because they show us our sin. They show us your character. They show us what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Father, we can, by studying, we can understand and know your will for our lives. And Father, we recognize this. We're fallen and we're sinful. So many of us have just been broken and, and hurt. Our hearts have been pricked about our sin. And that's good. Father, there's... We live in in such a prosperous place. And it's so easy to be influenced by the world and get caught up in what other people have and what we don't have and what we should have. Father, you know our hearts. You see everything. For those that are, for those of us that are here, that are acknowledging that even now as we sit before you, acknowledging our sin and confessing, and and I'll ask you to do that if you've been convicted and you, I'm, I'm I covet, I, I'm not content. There's a lot of discontent in my life and bitterness about what other people have and what I don't have I encourage you to confess that and Father we we want to we want to be right with you and we want to respond rightly when we're shown our sin Father if there's any here who yet to repent they've never once repented I pray that today would be the first time they repent and trust you and trust what Christ has done for them on the cross And I pray that you would grant them faith and repentance today and you would save lost people. Father, help us to be a people who are thankful. We recognize everything above hell is a privilege. We deserve your worst and you've given us so many blessings. Father, for those of us who are in Christ, we have so many blessings. We are Co heirs with Christ, we've been given eternal life, a guarantee that we'll be in heaven because of what you've done for us. We've been given gifts, spiritual gifts, and we're blessed immensely. And even for those who are here, who are lost, who are at enmity with you, who are shaking their fists at you and living their own lives and not giving any regard for what you desire for them. Father, you've blessed them so many with health and wealth and so many good gifts. We're thankful. And Father, as we go over and eat this incredible food that so many people have sacrificed to make, even as we eat, Father, may we be thankful for what you've given us, knowing there are hungry people all over the world. And we're blessed to have so much. We're thankful for your law, how wonderful it is. It's sweeter than honey more precious than gold. Thank you for the study of it. May we leave rejoicing today because we've studied and been shown our sin. We've confessed and repented and we're empowered to walk in obedience to you. Help us to do that even today. And I pray that as we go over and eat that we would be encouraged and we would get to know one another and we would just have a sweet time of fellowship. For those that are listening, Some are out of town, some are traveling, some are homebound. We just pray for blessing in their life, Lord, that you would give them a lot of grace, that they would have a great week, great Thanksgiving week, and they would spend nights with their families talking about what they're thankful for. And Lord, may Thanksgiving Day, I know for some it's a a bittersweet day because it'll be the first day without a parent or a child or a relative. For some, Thanksgiving uh, get-togethers are painful because of sin has wrecked their home. For some who'll spend Thanksgiving Day alone, because I have no one to spend it with, we know that these holidays can be difficult. But Father, may even among the difficulties, may we believers be thankful for your goodness in our lives, in Jesus'
0: name, amen. Thank you for tuning into our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus, If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.